Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on the WBBM Noon Business Hour, presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Good afternoon, I'm Jim Goodis. We'll take a look at the U.S. job market and prospects of passing a major federal infrastructure program in our next segment. But right now, a survey conducted for Crane Chicago Business and the political site The Daily Line finds three or four people polled or concerned about the direction of the city of Chicago. And joining us to talk about it from Cranes is columnist Greg Hines. So, Greg, let's get a little more detail about just what this poll is saying and about whom the poll is saying it. Uh, it's, uh, Jim, first, it's not exactly a poll. It's a, it's a survey. It's conducted a little bit differently than other polls. Uh, but uh, we, we believe it's a uh, an accurate representation of what Chicagoans are thinking. And what they're thinking is, frankly, not very positive right now. Um, uh, they're not happy with the mayor's performance, only at 16% uh, give her positive job ratings. Um, they're not happy with the direction of, of the city as a whole. 73% said the city's going in the, in the wrong track. And they're really, really unhappy with the, with the condition of Chicago public schools, with the, barely a third of the sample saying the city now is a good place to uh, uh, to raise a kid. And, uh, and uh, huge numbers are expressing dissatisfaction with the performance of the school. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot has said that uh, she attributes much of this to economic upheaval and the pandemic and that sort of thing. But how concerned should the mayor be about this? Well, we intentionally didn't make this political. We weren't going to make. We weren't going to write this in terms of how this affects the mayor's reelection and uh, prospects and whatever. But, uh, but I'll just state the obvious: when when people are happy about the direction of the city and when they don't give a uh, a politician very good job ratings, it uh, tends not to reflect good on their reelection prospects. Um, uh, but more fundamentally than that. Uh, the intent here wasn't to help or hurt a politician. It was to it was to help the city and give people a voice. And, and the voice they expressed in these findings uh, suggested that, yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And, yeah, it's been really strange times, as everybody out there knows. But uh, even then, people are really grumpy. And the mayor pretty much has said that. Uh, she was asked about this at a press conference yesterday. She's not surprised that people are upset because they got, there's a lot to be upset about. What does this do or say or mean for the business community in Chicago that residents feel this way? Um, if people aren't happy uh, and they don't think things are going right, they tend to vote with their feet, which is they move. Um, that's not for good for Chicago. Uh, you have a central business district now that is largely empty. Employers still haven't brought people back. Uh, you've had an explosion in housing prices in the suburbs because people in the, in the city are trying to buy places out in the suburbs. Uh, say lawmakers uh, tell me that uh, significant numbers of people are abandoning local schools to move their kids either to suburban districts, to private schools, or to Catholic schools. Um, uh, that means if there's less customers around with less money, that's not good for business, is it? All right. And Greg, at this point, is there anything else that uh, we should take from these numbers or, or, or anything else that we should glean from how Chicagoans are feeling? I, I understand that not everything was Bad in the survey. There are actually some folks who actually came out fairly well in this in this survey. Uh, Prisker does better than the than uh, the mayor. Sixty uh, percent job approval. This is in the city and in uh, mostly in a little bit of numbers from suburban Cook County. But uh, but but this is his strongest single strongest area of strength. Is the governor's not, not going to do well up here? He's not going to do as well downstate. Um, people did say that Chicago is a great place to visit uh, and, uh, and come for a weekend. Uh, 
that's a place to uh, to work from. Uh, I would try to use this as a positive building tool. Uh, the, the survey suggests some areas we need to improve. Now the task is to go and improve. That's Greg Hines, the columnist from Crane Chicago Business. Thank you so much for sharing some insight and clarifying that survey that Cranes has done about how people feel about in living in the city of Chicago. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The weekly report on jobless claims is out while the Biden administration is working to push its massive infrastructure program through Congress. And to talk about it, we are joined by Andrew Bush, the former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and an economist at andrewbush.com. So, Andy, first of all, your take on the jobless numbers and what they mean. Yeah, we had big... employment gains last Friday, but that was for March. So these are the initial jobless claims, and they're much more reactive to what's going on just over the last couple of weeks. And to me, what we're seeing here is two things. Number one is that we're not going to get blowout numbers for April as far as you know increases in jobs goes. And the second thing is, is that um, California and New York are the states that are seeing the biggest increases in these claims, and that's because they've had outbreaks and they still have not opened up their economies like Texas or Florida. So th- that's it, it's kind of telling us what we already knew, but it, it doesn't really contain very good news here. So now that we have the proposal from the Biden administration for the infrastructure program and that sort of thing and uh, the Republicans' concerns about it and the with all of that in place, what do, what do these numbers mean as we start to head into that direction? And how important or uh, concerning is it that this package is as large as it is? Yeah, it's 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 really interesting um, because we just passed you know a a um, a big stimulus spending bill that we had um, that comes on top of three other spending bills or stimulus plans. Uh, the U.S. economy is going to grow north of six percent this year. So the question becomes right now is like, hey, do we really need this additional money for infrastructure to spend it? And it's certainly the size. Now, this infrastructure plan is not just infrastructure. There's a lot of other things that are in there, like climate change and affordable housing. So um, it, it's all kind of grouped together under that name. That's where the rubber meets the road for uh, Democrats and Republicans. Moderate Democrats are saying, mm, maybe we should reduce this. We're, we're not sure that we need to go and raise the corporate tax rate from 21 percent all the way up to 28 percent. And Republicans are just saying, don't raise taxes at all. So it's it's really interesting what's happening now uh, with this, because we haven't even really seen the other money that was just approved recently hit the economy. And we're still growing very fast. How concerned are we about inflation? How concerned are we about what's going to happen with the bottom line in Washington? I mean, is there reason to be somewhat concerned about those sorts of things? Well, inflation is really not doing much right now. It's starting to pick up and interest rates have gone up slightly from the all-time lows. I mean, they're up a percent from the lows back last in April and March. Uh, but, I mean, it's not holding back the real estate market, is it? No, it's exploding where people want to be. And they don't want to be in Illinois. They don't want to be in New York. And they actually, they don't want to be in California. All three of those states saw out-migration and to places like North Carolina, Florida, Texas, and Arizona. 
those states are seeing significant increases in their real estate prices. So um, overall, I would say that uh, this this is um, the stimulus plus what the Federal Reserve is doing, keeping interest rates low, is driving real estate prices up. And I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. So um, we may see the economy, you know, moderate between four to six percent of GDP, but it's going to stay very strong this year and upward pressure will continue on interest rates. That's Andrew Bush, the former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Training Commission and an economist at andrewbush.com here in Chicago. Up next, a new low-cost airline is set to take to the skies. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There's a Chicago connection to a new low-cost air carrier, which begins flying this weekend. And joining us on the McGrath-Lexus business line is Ken Goldstein, the president of KJG International Consulting here in Chicago. So who's this new low-cost player in the airline industry? Well, first off, Jim, thanks for having me on. Uh, the new guy and his connection to the hometown airline is, it was its former chief financial officer, Andrew Levy. And the airline is Avalo, A-V-E-L-O, and started about noon your time in Chicago uh, on their website, of offering fares. They're as low as $19 one way. Now, let's not jump at that because the airline is going to be primarily flying the end of the month from their base at Hollywood Burbank Airport to places like Santa Rosa, California, and maybe to Phoenix using another airport there. The idea behind this is very much similar to an airline that we in Chicago know, which is Allegiant. And Allegiant flies from if you will, secondary airports, bypassing hubs on a point-to-point basis and offering lower fares. So they're going to be kind of like a competitor to Allegiant. And there's also another airline coming down the pike, and that's called Breeze. And that's the airline started by uh, David Nealman, who used to be the head of JetBlue and founder of JetBlue. So you've got a few new carriers coming on. Uh, because there has been a rise in domestic air travel, as by, seen by the TSA screening numbers. And you're going to find more people wanting to get out. So for, in Avalos case, they're looking to fly to outdoor destinations like Montana, uh, Bend, Oregon, and things like this, and get people flying more for leisure than, per se, business. Ken, that's a great explanation, and uh, it's a great explanation, too, as to why this is a a good time, perhaps, for airlines to start, even though we're in a challenging time for them. I guess to start now is better. You don't have to deal with the extra baggage from the pandemic and all of the problems there. Thanks for joining us. Ken Goldstein, President KJG International Consulting in Chicago. Still ahead on Technology Thursday, how to find out if your Facebook account was hacked. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Jim Goodis. These are the top stories at 1230. President Biden issues executive orders on gun control. A special report from CBS News next. In Technology Thursday, how to find out if your Facebook account has been targeted by cyber criminals and what to do if they have. Best Buy has a new strategy to hold on to shoppers in the competitive electronics market. On Wall Street, the Dow is now up 14 points, the S&P 500 is up 15, and the Nasdaq is up 121 points. 
We are expecting off and on rain this afternoon with a high of 65. Right now under cloudy skies, it's 62 at O'Hare at 1231. CBS News Special Report. President Biden has just unveiled his first attempts to curb gun violence. The changes include reviewing federal policies surrounding ghost guns, which are handmade or self-assembled firearms that do not include serial numbers. They have no serial numbers. So when they show up at a crime scene, they can't be traced. And the buyers aren't required to pass a background check to buy the kit to make the gun. He pushed back against arguments that these executive actions would infringe upon the right to bear arms. They're phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. Also at the announcement, Vice President Kamala Harris. We've all asked, what are we waiting for? Because we aren't waiting for a tragedy. I know that. We've had more tragedy than we can bear. In fact, there was a shooting just yesterday in South Carolina that killed five people. CBS News Special Report. I'm Matt Piper. A reminder, Odyssey is your new home for all the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, to listen to WBBM anytime. It's 1232. The Noon Business Hour continues, presented by the Republic Bank of Chicago. And markets are a little higher at this hour. And we're joined by Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist at National Securities in New York. And so, Art, uh, your take on what's happening on Wall Street today? Yeah, interesting kind of day, an interesting week. Things have calmed down quite a bit. So as we look at the overall volumes this week, it's been relatively lackluster. We would average over the course of the first quarter about 14 billion shares trading a day. And, and this week, it's been closer to nine, nine and a half. So volumes have slowed down a little bit, but that's okay. It's the week before earnings kick in, and I think that's one of the wait-and-see things we've got going on. We certainly know where we stand on fiscal and monetary policy. We've certainly heard plenty of that. And, and you know, what, the next thing to come out of Washington will likely be what kind of infrastructure bill we get out. So I suspect that investors are waiting to hear both earnings reports and guidance for the balance of this year to get a better handle on just how much better companies are doing this year than they were doing last year. So I think this is more of a wait and see mode, but it's nice to see a very broad advance in the S&P 500 over 4,000, but with all 11 of the sectors uh, helping in that rally. And and what's, what's really healthy about that is it's a broad market rally and it's led by economically sensitive cyclical sectors like the energy, financials, industrials, and materials, which I think puts us in a better place at an all time high. Now, the infrastructure bill, you mentioned that, and it's probably going to face uh, some interesting times in the Senate, at least. The question is, for investors, for the markets, do they see the infrastructure bill that they want to come out as what the president is proposing, maybe closer to what some Democrats or moderate Democrats are proposing? What is the view of investors on what we need in an infrastructure bill? Well, I would say this. I think investors and, and just about everybody in the country, both sides of the aisle, agree uh, infrastructure is something that needs to be addressed. It's been a generation or two since we've actually had any real infrastructure investment. The, the real question is, how do you define infrastructure and how do you pay for it? So definition of infrastructure in 2021 versus 1951, obviously much different. You know, things like charging stations, things like broadband access, you know, are new to infrastructure plans and, and part of this plan. I think investors look at this as a positive. It's looked at differently than the, the short-term fiscal policy stimulus that we saw because of the pandemic. That was more of a bridge to get to the other side of the pandemic for households and small and medium businesses. This is an investment in our country over the next 10 years. I think 
I, I can tell you that the market is would be very excited about that because it's like a company uh, investing in CapEx to improve their business in the future. I think it's a, about investing in the in the country to to improve our economy in the future. Now, where everyone will will fall on different lines is how you pay for that. And what's the best way to do that? And I guess the question is, I don't know if you have the answer, what is the best way to pay for this? I mean, uh, there's obviously talk of a corporate income tax increase. Not everybody thinks that's the right idea. Uh, what are some good options to at least try to not make this as much of an addition to the uh, national debt as it might be? Well, I'll tell you the three things you want to think about. First and foremost, when we had the tax cuts um, four years ago or three years ago, um, I think everyone thought we should land at 25%. We went all the way down to 21%. We're likely going back to 25% where everybody kind of had their expectations set. That seems to be the new normal. And I think that keeps us competitive. And I certainly think there's a lot of loopholes we could tighten up to collect more taxes. We could beef up the IRS to, to help collect more taxes. I think the second thing is interest rates being this low, I would certainly start issuing infrastructure bonds at a 30 or 50 year level. Um, and then you're just paying back the uh, what, what you need to pay back in the debt service. So you don't have to raise as much in terms of revenues in the near term to pay for long term investments with long term debt. That would make a great deal of sense to me. And then there's uh, public private partnerships. So some of the, the work that you do on roads and highways can have fees and tolls and things of that nature. So I think all three of those, a combination of all three of those things are likely what's going to transpire. But it's going to be a while before we know what the final result is. But I do suspect that uh, the market is looking at a 25% corporate tax rate, and uh, the effective rate will certainly be a lot lower for much larger corporations as it has been for years. Art Hogan, the chief market strategist at National Securities in New York. Always great perspective, Art. Always enjoy listening to what you have to say as we take a look at the markets and what's influencing them. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. Personal information of more than 500 million Facebook users was posted to an online forum earlier this week. And joining us on the McGrath-Lexus business line with how to know and what to do is Adam Levin, the founder of Cyber Scout and the author of the book Swiped out of New York. So, Adam, man, that's crazy in the fact that we're just now finding out that this happened. So how do you find out if you were one of these people? Well, I always start with the premise, assume you are one of those people just because in the world we live in, unfortunately, breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes. So start with that premise. Be very careful. Assume the fact that if your information is out there, in particular, your phone number, your email address, it is easy to combine that with a lot of other information that's available on the dark web, and all of a sudden someone can recreate you or recreate someone you think you know and then start communicating with you and asking you to either click on links or somebody uh, that was related to them had passed away, and instead of sending flowers, you can make contributions to this charity. Also, one of the ways to find out is to go to the site Have I Been Pawned, P. WNED.com. Have I been pawned? Because now they have a tool that, in addition to checking email to see if your email and password were compromised, you can also check to see if your phone number was compromised as well. And again, it's one of those things where, as you say, don't just assume, okay, I'm all right because I haven't heard anything, I haven't seen anything, that sort of thing. You know, as this demonstrates, 
you could be the victim of a hack or a breach and just the fact that for whatever reason, no one's telling you you have been. So you, re- as you say, you really have to assume that this is happening and protect yourself as if you are being attacked or have been. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, some of the rules of the road is don't overshare on social media because that information can come back to haunt you. Don't authenticate yourself to anyone who contacts you for any reason. Uh, also, with this kind of information, anybody can fake anything now on social media. And with technology advancing as it has, I mean, people can now do deep fake. It's not inexpensive to do it where you think you're looking at someone doing something online as part of a video or a meme, but it actually wasn't that person. It's, it's really sort of like you're watching a movie uh, with someone putting the head of one person on the body of another. So, You have to be careful about that. And, of course, the biggest problem here when you're talking about Facebook is now they have your information and they have it in context, which makes it even more dangerous so that it will be more natural if something comes through social media. uh, And unfortunately, it's not the real thing. So you have to be very careful about that and always keep in mind your phone number is literally the new social security number because everybody uses it as an identifier for themselves and for others. You know, and it's often used, as you mentioned, for two-factor identification. Is is is, And that's one thing that a lot of people are doing. They say, oh, I'm fine because, you know, my bank or my computer company or my whatever is going to text me on my phone. And actually, that's not the most secure way you can do it. Is There's a better way, I would think, to maybe have two-factor that doesn't rely on a phone number that unfortunately, as you say, can be easily spoofed. Well, yeah, I mean, the better way is if you can if you can do a biometric, which for many devices is now a thumbprint. There are even some that are so advanced they're, they're doing retinal scans and some are ultimately moving toward uh, being able to authenticate you by voice. Uh, But again, sometimes the old reliable, which is the password, but it should be long and strong. And frankly, you should use a a password manager Uh, or now some uh, like Google has the authenticator, which creates tokens that can that can identify a person. So, you know, there there are there are other ways to do it besides just the phone number. All right. Adam Levin, who's the founder of Cyber Scout and the author of the book Swiped. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Electronics giant has a new plan to attract and keep customers in the competitive electronics retail space. And we welcome Jan Rogers Niffen, the CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide in New York. So Best Buy thinks uh, membership is a good model. What exactly is Best Buy talking about? And what would you get for what they want you to pay? Well, membership's always a good model if you can sell it to the customer because the service is up to whatever you're charging. So this is kind of, you know, Best Buy's version of Amazon Prime. You're going to get tech support, concierge-level service, installation in your home, exclusive pricing, you know, shipping, all the things you would want from a company like Best Buy who delivers great service anyway. So, you know, then the customer gets to be emotionally invested because they're part of your club. And so it's good for you. It's good for the customer. Everybody likes it. However, on the other hand, the price point seems 
pretty high to me for what you're getting because how often do you really buy stuff from Best Buy and how often do you really need support? And they're asking you to pay a couple hundred dollars a year. So, you know, when I look at it, I say, okay, I love the service. I love it conceptually. I think it builds loyalty. It's all kinds of good things. Just not sure there's a huge population of customers who really need the Geek Squad, you know, like on retainer. So, is it a good deal for installation services and discounts on purpose purchases? If you're buying something big enough and buying it often enough, I'm just having a hard time they're going to be able to retain people in this program at a couple hundred bucks a year unless they're buying a heck of a lot of stuff from Best Buy. Well, and that's the thing because you, you mentioned, for example, Prime, where you literally have the world of just about anything you could want in any category you want in Prime. And would you think that maybe some people may think of tech, even though there's a lot of tech, as too narrow a category? And the fact that this price point is about double what the prime price point is, I mean, is that really where this might have some issues? Well, yeah, that's what I think. I mean, I'm an Amazon Prime member. member. I love Prime. But I'm ordering from Amazon once a week, maybe more often. I don't know. And I start to say, doesn't everybody? And I think they do. But how often do I really buy a big piece of tech that really needs support and all the stuff you get from Best Buy? Not very often. And I just, I don't see that $200 a year for most customers. But there may be a group that is willing to do that, that uses a whole lot of support. I need support. I'm just not sure I could possibly justify a couple hundred bucks a year for the number of times I need support from Best Buy. All right. That's Jan Rogers Niffen, the CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide in New York. If you missed any part of today's show... You can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app.